Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Thursday, June 25th, and uh, I apologize for last time. We didn't do one of these preparing for Sunday mornings uh, before the um, uh, Trinity 2, the second Sunday after Trinity. Um, We had a, you know, if... In case y'all don't know, I, my wife is pregnant, and she's due in August, and so we're drawing closer to the date for, uh, you know, her due date, and we went to the hospital, to the birthing center here in Fredericksburg at the Hill Country Memorial, and we um, had to have uh, a birthing class and talk about what to expect with newborn care and things like that, uh, see the facilities and stuff, so I was a little preoccupied and couldn't really get around to doing the preparing for Sunday. So I apologize for that. Um, I hope that y'all have been enjoying the uh, daily matins that I've been recording and putting on the podcast. Um, But I made a decision just so y'all know, and um, I don't know if I'll put it anywhere else, but if y'all listen to this and um, you like seeing it on the website, it's not going to be on the website anymore. It's just going to be on the podcast. Uh, we got to keep the website kind of clear for certain things like um, Bible studies and uh, sermons and any announcements and things like that that we have. Um, if you would, though, go on our website to resurrectionfbg.org. That's resurrectionfbg.org. And you will see that I've added a little tab there for uh, COVID-19, just kind of give you a little update on what we do here as far as social distancing, um, the procedures that we go through as far as uh, us wearing masks and gloves for communion distribution. We have communion every week here at Resurrection. Um, so, and, and we have most of the things for the church are posted there. So if you want to, go and check it out, and uh, you'll see all of our updated, uh, all of the news and everything that's going on. It's all updated there. Uh, That's where we usually keep people informed. Anyways, to make uh, no more ado, without further ado, let's get into the uh, preparing for Sunday. Uh, It's the third Sunday after Trinity coming up on June 28th. Um, We have... uh, a great gospel here, uh, but before we get into it, actually, let's do what we usually do, and let's start with a word of prayer. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and nothing is holy, multiply your mercy on us, that with you as our Ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, your through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That is the collect for the upcoming Sunday. Um, Just a heads up for y'all who are going to be joining us uh, here at Resurrection on Sunday. Uh, you know, pardon the sound of the keys there, so I don't mess with them on my desk. Um, 
The gospel text for this Sunday is from Luke chapter 15, and if you know Luke chapter 15, if you are well-versed in the Bible, hopefully most of y'all are, and if not, I'll tell you, Luke, Luke chapter 15 is uh, the chapter where you get a lot of parables here. Um, the historic reading, because we are on the one year, the historic lectionary here at Resurrection, that the historic reading is the uh, parable parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. But then there's an alternate reading that the Lutheran service book uh, puts out, uh, which is the parable that's right after those two, which corresponds very closely with the prodigal son. So we... Uh, here at Resurrection have made a decision, by that I mean I, <laughs> that we don't want less Bible, we want more Bible. So we're going to extend it all the way to Luke chapter 15, the entire chapter. So it is 32 verses, but hey, more Bible is always good. Um, and actually you get the nice picture with all of it together. And uh, why don't we begin with that? Because usually, we've, as we've said here before, we have uh, all these different. We have these different readings for the uh, lectionary, but they should revolve and center around uh, the gospel text. So I'm going to read it for y'all, and we're going to just just going to talk about it. Uh, because the Old Testament and the Epistle lesson are pretty short. So most of this will be on the gospel text of Luke chapter 15. So, the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice, with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I, that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me turn here real quick to Excuse me. And he said, there he goes. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of, my, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the, young, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came... Who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So, a lot here. Um, <clears throat> you may think to yourself, we've heard this so many times. I mean, how many times are we going to hear about the prodigal son? I mean, it's, it's always in, it's so ingrained in our culture. Uh, you know, it's a pretty regular thing to say, you know, someone goes astray, it's like, whoop, there goes the prodigal son, you know, so sometimes when I saw that this was the reading for this coming Sunday, I thought to myself, what am I going to pull out of this that people haven't heard before? But then again, you know, you never know who's out there listening. You never know who in the congregation has heard all these things before, has, uh, thought of these things in this way before. I mean, you think of, you know, the prodigal son. Um, I think someone 
today, it can be misinterpreted all the time. So that's what we're going to try and do. We're going to try and not misinterpret it, but we're going to try and uh, interpret it in the correct way. All right, and pull something out of here because these last few weeks, it's been a little heavy. Uh, the last few weeks, uh, week before last, we had um, Lazarus and the rich man, and then last week we had, uh, well, unless you were in church, you wouldn't know, or a church that has the um, uh, historic one year lectionary, you wouldn't know that last week we had uh, the parable about. Um, the banquet, right? The uh, that a man, a certain man, uh, has a banquet and sends out, but people make excuses, right? And this is the banquet that the Lord is making. Yet people who the Lord, the Lord prepared this feast for exactly make excuses, and so it's all about making excuses when. <laughs> This feast has been prepared for you, and it is a privilege and an honor and it is a great gift, and you don't come. But I'm not going to talk about last week because <laughs> I missed my chance on that one. Um, but so what I mean to say is that these last few weeks have been a little heavy. There's been a lot of warnings, but here there's a lot of, there's a lot of grace. There's a lot of gospel here in this gospel text. And it would be almost incomplete if we just stopped with the parable of the uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, or just went with the prodigal son. I mean, you can do either or, but doing both really gives you the full picture here. So let me just go through this fairly quickly uh, for the sake of time, because um, there's just too much to really get to all the way through. But I'm going to do my best here. So and now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Going from the beginning here of Luke chapter 15. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now you have to understand that uh, in that time, of course, there was you know charitable giving towards the uh, untouchables in society, the uh, the beggars, uh, the sinners, the you know people who are in dire straits that need that lived off of charity. All and there were also the outcasts, right? The 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 tax collectors, the sinners, and um, these people were thought to be you know the lowest of the low. Um, and it was one thing to you know pass by them in the street, but to have them sit with you at your table, to have table fellowship with these people was to show a full embrace of them, right? But there is a understanding here that these sinners don't just come, well, they come as they are. Let's be clear here. They come as they are, but there is a requirement for table fellowship with Jesus that there must be repentance. Now, we're going to get into what that means as far as what repentance is and what the established understanding of repentance was at that time, at least within the rabbinical tradition that the rabbis taught to the people. That, uh, well, let's just do the preface here like Jesus does. He tells these parables in rapid succession. Um... And it's in response to these 
Pharisees and scribes grumbling as, you know, it's likened to how the Israelites in the wilderness grumbled against God, right? It is a sign of unbelief, of hatred toward God for what he is doing, regardless, you know, of the fact that his actions are entirely gracious, right? That even when the Israelites received manna and quail, the Lord was feeding them. They... He just handed it to them, and yet they couldn't help but grumble and say, why has he let us out into the wilderness to, so that we may die here with this worthless food? I mean, the very bread of heaven wasn't even good enough for these people. So this is what it's like as well. This is just what this mirroring, this parallel here of the um, Pharisees and scribes grumbling, right? saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, these may seem disconnected to, uh, these, these parables may seem disconnected to this, this grumble, this, this statement, this gripe that these Pharisees and scribes have, but it makes sense once you get to the, to, to the prodigal son. So you see here that he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, this is often misunderstood misinterpreted or misunderstood just on the surface that in the ancient Near East, when it came to shepherds, you would really only have, uh, personally, you'd only have about five sheep. I mean, that's the average number. I thought like five to 10. If you had 50, if you had like 45 or 50, you were wealthy. Now, if there's a hundred sheep, the hearer of this who would be hearing this in you know uh, the early church, they they would understand. Uh, There's a lot of cultural background here, so something to keep in mind that the shepherds of that time, you would be out with other shepherds. That if there were a hundred sheep, these were sheep that belonged to the entire village or the community that you were a part of. You wouldn't be the only shepherd out there. It'd be too much. It'd be too many sheep for you to keep track of. There would be a team, right? So what is being implied here is that there's a sheep that's lost. You have and there's you know, you could easily just let that sheep go. Say, oh well, mark that in the margins as a loss. But what happens with this shepherd, this is where we get the the, the image of the good shepherd, uh, you know, with Jesus with, with the shepherd with, with the sheep around his neck. Um draped around his neck, carrying him back, you know, happy. Uh, This is where we see that because what happens is there's other shepherds out there watching the 99, all right? He's speaking this directly to the Pharisees who ought to be like shepherds for the people, the sheep, but they're not. They're not doing their jobs, right? Um, And the shepherds have a funny place. Um... In the scriptures, you know, King David was a shepherd. The Messiah is depicted as a shepherd in the Old Testament. You know, like the, uh, Ezekiel puts forward, you know, it, 
the prophecy of Ezekiel comes forward and says, you know, the Lord himself will shepherd his sheep, right? But in practical, everyday life, shepherds were considered unclean. They were dirty, right? They were out in the fields all day. They were working with animals. I mean, they happened to be clean animals, but still, they, they, weren't, they lived outside of town. They weren't necessarily outcasts, but they weren't necessarily considered the top of the food chain when it came to uh, society and civilization. But that's what Jesus is getting at here with this parable, that there's a lost sheep out there, and what happens with lost sheep is that they, when they find out that they're lost, they typically just kind of plop down. They stop. They sit. They don't move. And the shepherd has, the, the only thing that, that the sheep does is it just kind of bleats. You know, it's like, ah, just it just calls out. That's all it can do. So then the good shepherd, well, that's, that's implied here. The shepherd goes out to search for the sheep. The sheep can't do anything to find itself. The sheep can't do anything to save itself. It, it's totally reliant on the shepherd to find it, right? So the shepherd comes, finds him. That's not the hard part. The hard part is picking up the sheep and carrying this heavy sheep all the way back to town, rejoicing, right? Um, so there's the understanding there that, uh, so there's this understanding there that um, the sheep is totally helpless, it's totally reliant on the shepherd, and the shepherd carries him all the way back rejoicing, joyfully, right? Um, even though there is a burden, the shepherd bears it willingly and lovingly. Then there's the woman having ten silver coins. She loses one coin. Does not does she not light a lamp and sweep sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? What? Well, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, "Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost." Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now. This is where it starts, you know, he's mentioning there's repentance here, right? Um, and the value of the thing that is lost becomes greater and greater. That the sheep is just one out of a hundred. But now there's one out of ten silver coins. Those are really valuable, right? And that she, searched, she, she searches diligently, lighting a lamp. Now, some people have seen this as, you know, uh, the woman is... Um, uh, visualized by, you know, she's, she's like the church, right? That she searches out the lost coin uh, with the lamp, with the word of God, right? That's one way to see it as well. That these, that the coin is just as helpless to, to save itself, to um, find itself as the sheep was, right? In fact, some might say it's even, it's, it's even more, um, it's, it's even more lost, right? But then we get to this parable of the lost son. And I say the lost son because it's better than the prodigal son, because the prodigal son, well, I mean, I'll keep saying the prodigal son, but it should really be more about the lost son because it's, you know, right in line with the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, now the lost son, where you see that... Um, the pro like prodigal means wasteful, right? Extravagant, uh, wasteful really is the best way to say it, I think. And so you see this parable that we all know fairly well. We all, we, or at least we, you know, most people have actually 
maybe heard of it, right? The son, he's wayward. He does all these things to dishonor his father, his family. And then he comes crawling back after he just squanders everything, right? But let's take a look, a deeper look here. I'm going to get back to this thing about how we think, we, we say, well, I'll just preface this right now, where I say, <clears throat> excuse me, we might say, well, there's the lost uh, sheep, yep, helpless, lost coin, yep, helpless, check, lost son, well, is he really that helpless? I mean, he does come back. The father doesn't go and seek him out. He just comes back, right? Well, let's let's put a pin in that, and we're going to get to it in just a second here, that we see here that there's a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, right? Uh, this means, you probably heard this before, that this means that he wants his inheritance. Now, when do you typically get inheritance from your father in the ancient world? When he dies, right? So that means that this son is wishing that his father was dead so that he could have the money, so that he could have the property. Uh, to make matters worse, the uh, father, well, you know, this is totally insane, or it would have been thought insane by the people who were listening to this, that the father gives him what he wants, right? He gives him what he wants. And then you see, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, right? That what was given to him was property. Now, it wasn't, as we would say, liquidated, right? He had this property that was divided up um, by his father, given his portion, right? Um, and he had to find someone in the community to sell this property to so that he could have the money to go. That his dad didn't just get, just give him cash. He gave him property. Um, and what happens is the village, the community that they were in, obviously it's, it's, it's implied that this father, right, that he is a wealthy man. He has uh, a good amount of wealth, a good amount of property. And what he does is he gives this piece of property and the people know that this is a huge insult that this younger son is doing um, against his father. And they already hate him. But then he goes around town trying to f sell this property. Can you imagine how much more disdain you would have for someone like that? That you say this, this, this punk kid comes up and, and, and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me, give me the money that you would give me if you were dead. All right. Now, uh, he says, well, I can only give you property. Well, fine, I got to go find a buyer now. So if you see this, this guy coming your way, you're going to think, well, there's no good, you know, this is a horrible person, right? Totally culpable for the wrong things that he's done. So it makes it even worse. He's going to become even more, of, uh, more ostracized from that community, and he's going to want to get out of there. So he does. He gets out. He squanders his property in reckless living, right? And then he, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, this is another part where you just see he's getting lower and lower and lower and lower because 
he's implied to be a nice Jewish boy. And if he's in another country where they have pigs, he's amongst the Gentiles. He's feeding pigs, right? And then because he's so hungry, he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And this isn't like, you know, just scraps from people's tables. From what I understand and what I've read, this is stuff that's not even nutritious for human beings. You know, it's it's just the the stuff that pigs root around and find just because that's all they can find and they're hungry and he wishes that he's fed like them, right? The pigs are eating better than he is. Um, and no one gave him anything, right? He has hit rock bottom. He is not only ostracized from his family, from his people, from his village, but he is lower than a pig, than a filthy, unclean animal, right? So then in the midst of his... Then the depths of his despair, he says, you know, when he came to himself, literally, it says that in the Greek, he just, he comes to himself. <laughs> it's kind of a funny uh, turn of phrase um, to see that literally in the Greek. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, this may all seem noble and good. He's like, oh, he's seen the error of his ways. He's coming back. Well, let's just talk about what we mean by repentance here. Uh, that's what was mentioned in the first two parables, right? There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In that day, the, the, the rabbis, the rabbinical teaching on repentance was one that said that you needed to have sorrow for the sin that you committed and you needed to do something about it. You needed to do some sort of action to show how contrite of heart you were before grace and forgiveness could be bestowed. That that literal act of contrition, the act of um, what the younger son's trying to do, right? He's trying to make amends. He's trying to pay back the debt. That was in keeping with the pharisaical, rabbinical understanding of repentance at the time. So the Pharisees, if, if it stopped here, the Pharisees would be like, well, that's a nice little moralistic story. That's, that's good, right? But what happens? He rose and came to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, when it says embraced him, it literally means he fall, like he fell on his neck. Uh, and that is a sign of familial bond. And the kiss is the kiss of peace, right? This is, and, and plus he ran, and you've probably heard this one too, that a man that is of high stature uh, in the community does not run. It is undignified for a man to run, okay? It is undignified for a man to run uh, in that culture of that status. And I think that Aristotle is even quoted as saying, you know, a gentleman never runs, right? Uh, he doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. But here, this father, this well-beloved, well-established man in the community runs to his God-forsaken son, right? And he feels compassion for him. Now, that's another interesting word 
uh, in the Greek, it's a uh, great word, splachnisthe. I love it. Splachnisthe. It's, um, it, it literally means like the pouring out of your guts for somebody, that the literal spilling out of your bowels. And the only other place, the only other person, well, the only other places you see that word um, and that verb attributed to certain people is uh, here in the Good Samaritan and with Jesus. So you can make a nice connection there that if those are the only times that, that this word shows up, you can pretty much guess that this father is Jesus, right? <laughs> that it is at least God, right? Uh, that that is who is being um, spoken of here. And this is, you know, the the allegory, the the metaphor used here to help us understand just what it's just what God does for us, right? And we're gonna get that get to there in just a second. So we see that, that this, that this kid, he uh, comes back and he's trying to save his pride, right? He's willing to face, he's in such a bad place that he's willing to face the ostracization, the ostracizing, <laughs> the ostracizing of the community because they all hate his guts. He's a pariah. He's in persona non grata, right? He's willing to face them because he's just in such a bad place and he's willing to work. He's, but he's giving, he's offering repentance on a condition, right? Father, forgive me. Treat me as one of your hired servants so I can earn your forgiveness. But the father, he sees him, feels compassion, runs, undignified, embraces him when he doesn't have to, kisses him, to probably the astonishment of everybody around. And from this, we see that the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, you may be thinking, well, where's the other part? Where's the part where he says, you know, treat me as one of your hired servants? Well, some people, I thought this, I thought that he doesn't say that because his father interrupts him. You know, the very next verse says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and, and so on and so forth. But you, you see here that uh, it was pointed out that that doesn't necessarily read so great. Uh, because if the father interrupts him, then he, then he doesn't really have a change of heart. He still thinks that he can uh, earn his father's grace, his father's forgiveness. What's a better understanding of this, I believe, and what I've read and, and been shown is that uh, the son is so overwhelmed by his father's grace, by his father's mercy that is being shown to him no matter what he says, right? He didn't even say anything for his dad to come up and say and, and run to him, embrace him, and kiss him as his son. That was already signs that he had received him back, right? And that over that that gracious response is so overwhelming that he understands. He understands that true true repentance is not what we can do. It's not what we can provide what we can earn. True repentance relies solely 
on the grace of the Father. Right? So he responds correctly. He repents correctly. He repents in the right way, in the way that really you only can by understanding that it's not about what you do, but it is about what God does, right? Now, I'm going to make that connection back with the sheep and the coin, right? They were helpless, and they had to be sought out. And you may think to yourself, well, the father didn't seek the son. He came to his senses and just knew. Well, if this boy is old enough to go off on his own, he had to have spent time, he had to have spent time in his father's house being taught, right? Especially a wealthy man like that, you were getting some education. You were being catechized in a way. How else do you think that he knew that he could ask his father for the inheritance and that his father would be gracious enough to give it to him? How else would he know that he, in the midst of his sorrow and the depths of his, his despair, how else would he know that he could return to his father and his father would, it, would at least be gracious enough to receive him as a servant? That what he had learned in his father's house, he knew to be true. He knew that his father loved him. And yes, he squandered it, but he knew that his father loved him. And he knew that he could return and that his father would at least receive him in some way. So in some ways, you can, you know, you, when you understand that, you understand that this prodigal son did not return because he just wised up and was like, well, got nothing better to do. Might as well just go see if my dad will take me back. What happened was that he was being sought out, that his father's love was what was calling him back. His father's grace and mercy that he had shown to him all through his life up until that point when he left that was what was calling him back. That in and by himself, he could not return on his own terms, just like the sheep could not get itself up and walk back to the fold, just like the coin had to be sought out with a light and sweeping and clearing out for it to be found. He could not be found without the love of the Father that was calling him back. And he would not have understood what true repentance was until his father truly showed him that he defied all expectations. You know, you, you read this parable and you see that, yeah, you know, you read about the prodigal, the prodigal son and you say, well, yeah, I know someone like that. Or you see someone like the older son, which is where we're going to get into in a minute. I know we're going a little long, but hey, this is worth it. That uh, you see something about like the older son and you say, yeah, I know someone like that. So in some ways, the son, the older son, the younger son, their behavior is somewhat expected. The only one who really acts in an unexpected way is the father, right? 
what person in their right mind when their kid says, I wish you were dead. Give me the money that I'm going to get when you die. And they say, okay, here you go, son. Have fun. Or when they come crawling back, you know you just would love to say, well, look who came crawling back. I told you so. You'd be back. I knew it. No, I mean, he runs to him. He feels compassion for him. He's, his love is so overwhelming that he can't help but run to him, embrace him, kiss him, clothe him, shoe him, <laughs> do slaughter the fattened calf, right? Eat and celebrate, throw a big party. He is such an unpredictable person, an unpredictable character in this story. But that's who God is. His love for us is so radical, so out of the ordinary, that it defies any sort of reason or understanding that we could import on our own, right? Now, with that beautiful, <laughs> that beautiful bit there, we see that the older son, it's the second half of it, right? Remember that this is all going towards, this is all a message toward the Pharisees. <clears throat> that the Pharisees ought to be like the shepherd who goes and seeks the one and rejoices carrying them back and rejoices in the community when they come back. They should be like the woman who seeks after the lost coin diligently and then calls her friends together to celebrate. But more often than not, <clears throat> And the way that they're acting now with Jesus is like the older son. Now we see that the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, to, and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now, this... there. I need to look it up, but there are there are several different uh, <clears throat> excuse me there are several different insults and curses really I guess you could say that uh, the older son commits toward his father. Music in that day and time was not a regular occurrence that you only heard music during festivities, right? So he knew something was going on. He should have gone in and seen what was up, what what was going on, but he doesn't. He hears about his brother, he gets angry, refuses to go in, right? That right there is the first slight against his father because his duty as the older son is to be the one who coordinates everything. That in that culture, he was supposed to make sure that all the servants were doing what they needed to do for all the guests so that his father could play the gracious host. But he refuses. He does not fulfill that duty. He gets angry, refuses to go in. So the father seeks him out. He seeks him out and he entreats him, right? But he answers his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And in that short response, there are so many slights against his father. If you look back, the younger son comes and he addresses his father with a title. He says, Father, right? He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Here, the older son just says, look, 
Like, look here, all right, old man, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat, right? Basically saying he's, he's acting like a slave. He has the attitude of a slave and not a son in that he did these things, but not willingly. He didn't do them out of love for his father. You can see that in what he's saying. These many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat, right? Treat me with the way, in the way that I deserve and be careful what you wish for, right? But he says that I might celebrate with my friends as opposed to his family, right? We see where his priorities are here. And then he says, but when this son of yours came, not my brother, but this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, well, you know, go. let's look at that real quick. Does it say anything about prostitutes? No, it just says that he squandered his property in reckless living, right? Uh, there's no mention of that. It's a possibility that it happened, but he doesn't know that. What he's doing, though, is he is assuming the worst. He is not being charitable toward his brother. He is ascribing worse things to him than he possibly did, as opposed to seeking reconciliation, right? So there's just so many slights here, so many problems here. Uh, but he says, when, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And his father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Right? That what is repeated here is what he said to everybody at the, fest at the festival, at the feast. Right? My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That actually is baptismal language too, if you really think about it. That those of us who once sat in darkness have now, you know, received his marvelous light. We have been enlivened by the Holy Spirit given to us in baptism that when we are baptized, we literally become new creations in Christ by being baptized into a death like his and being resurrected res resurrected into a life like his, right? And that's where it ends. It's a cliffhanger. Remember, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. They despise him. They despise Jesus for openly sitting, eating, receiving sinners. Something that they ought to be doing. And Jesus is calling them to task for this, right? Now, we shouldn't just say this was only towards the Pharisees. We can be very much like either the older brother or the younger brother, right? But this is, there's a lot here. We're not going to go too far into it. We're already way over time, but man, this is so good. There's so much grace here that God loves us so much that in these ways, when a sinner repents, when a sinner understands that there's nothing they can do, that it all depends on the grace of God, that and then they receive that grace by faith, right? There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, who understands there is nothing that they can do. There's no atoning work that they can accomplish to make everything right, or even to set it on the right track to where they could possibly attain it someday. That it's all a matter of God's grace, His love shown to sinners like us. Lest we think that we are so good and we become like the older brother who despises someone for, you know, say, hey, you know what? That guy over there, he's a cheat, he's a liar, and he cusses all the time. I don't want to be around him, right? And I don't want him at the rail. I don't want to receive communion with someone like that. They are scum, right? Well, they're repentant. God forgives them. They are here. They've confessed their sins. They've received absolution. Um, you better be careful not to become too prideful. In some ways, uh, we saw from uh, the collect, the opening prayer here, that um, we... You know, we say, uh, O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and nothing is holy, multiply your mercy on us, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may also pass through things temporal, so that we lose not the things eternal. That God would bring us through whatever hardships we face, because sometimes people who really understand grace are the ones who have seemingly greater sins or more con more consequential sins that need forgiveness than those who are like the older brother who are in the house. But what they are guilty of or what they are in danger of guilty being guilty of as older sons, ones who are resentful of the younger brother who squandered everything and seems to take advantage of the of God's grace. What they are in danger of is the sin of pride. And that is equally damning if left unchecked and lacking in repentance, right? Something for all of us to consider. Um, now, there's more here. Uh, there's, I'll quickly go through the Old Testament and the epistle because they're very short, but you'll see how they kind of play with the gospel here. So the Old Testament is from Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Micah prophesies, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our, our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is something that the Pharisees should have known, that God is a God that pardons iniquity, passes over transgression, and he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Right? This is the God whom the Pharisees should know. Uh, and that we ought to understand as well, that it is for us too. 
and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11 for our epistle. First, uh, St. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see here uh, more indication here that there will be trials and tribulations for us as believers, as sons of God, right? That we will be in danger of temptation like the uh, younger son was, that we will be tempted to squander all that has been given to us. And yet there is also the temptation that we will be like the older son and that we will squander all that has been given to us because of our pride, right? That we will willingly separate ourselves from the love of God because we think that we can do better, right? And that can be paralleled today, I think, with the issues surrounding us now in the world. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. We now have racial tensions in this country. We uh, are facing in major cities the um, danger of riots, of unruly mobs, uh, looting, lawlessness, violence, things like that. And, um, you know, in some ways, when times are soft, that is where danger is really, we, we ought to be most on our toes. Because when things are easy, it's easy to fall into complacency, right? It's easy to become the younger, it's easy to become the older brother. Let me put it that way. Sorry, I can't correct myself. It's easy to become the older brother who says, well, I've done everything right. Why am I getting punished for this, right? I'm doing everything right. Why, why? Why is someone who is, you know, such a greater sinner than me getting, getting all the special treatment, right? Um, but now in these hard times, we will be tried. We will be shown whether we are squandering of God's grace uh, in one way or another, whether that is through um, uncaring about his provisions, um, not idolizing the things in the world, or whether that is idolizing the things in our own life, idolizing ourselves. That in this world, we are faced with a lot of trials and temptations that include seem, things that are seemingly minute, like breaking the Eighth Commandment, like hating our brother. Um, but these things are sinful that if left unchecked, they will dull our conscience, they will separate us from the love of God. And for these things, we must repent. We must come to God 
in the only way that we can by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that true love and grace can only be found in Him. So let us rejoice that we have such a loving God who loves us no matter what we do. And we pray that we would not use that as an excuse to do whatever we want, but to return our gratitude to him for the love that he shows through his son, Jesus Christ, to return that love to our neighbor because we love because he first loved us, to welcome our brother who has sinned against us but is humble and contrite in heart and asking for forgiveness, that we would grant them that forgiveness because Christ forgives us. Amen. Well, with that, I will leave y'all. It's a little bit longer episode than we usually have, but uh, hopefully you get something out of it. Hopefully it prepares you for Sunday, and um, and I pray that you are blessed this Sunday as you worship wherever, wherever you are, and that you gather around God's gracious word that tells you that you have been forgiven, that he sees you as his own child by the work of his only son, Jesus Christ, and his atoning death for you. God's peace be with you. We'll see you next week for uh, preparing for Sunday for uh, Trinity 4. God's blessings.